0: Welcome to the Customer Acquisition Podcast. My name is Thorsten. If you are in marketing or sales and you want to increase demand, build more pipeline and acquire more customers for your B2B product, this podcast is for you. In this podcast, we will mix together webinars, live streams, interviews and everything else in audio format. I also recommend registering for weekly netly live sessions on Wednesdays at one central European time. Here we cover a different topic related to customer acquisition, such as content marketing, advertising, sales, and much more. You can sign up at nuttly.co slash live. Now on to this episode. Today I'm joined by John McTighe from Customer Journey Mapping. John, welcome.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: For the listeners who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do?
1: Well, I have a long, long, long career, so I'll try to make it short. Uh, I spent the first 10 years of my career in the oil and gas business, which we were just discussing. I came to Norway a few times to work on the North Sea oil projects. Uh, So I'm familiar with your country. I love it. The next 10 or so years of my career, I started getting into sales and marketing. So I actually worked for some software companies that were selling oil and gas software. So I learned the ropes traveling around the world, working as a product marketer, directly cooperating with a sales rep and uh, learned the ins and outs of sales. The whole industry kind of has always been somewhat unstable. So it's been up and down for a long time. It still is. So I got out of the industry in uh, the late 1990s and started actually building websites. So my first sort of digital marketing was as a web developer. And uh, that's how I met my partner at Kuno Creative. So he started up an agency in the year 2000. And we got together in 2003, and I started building websites for Kuno Creative, and uh, stayed there for 14 years, and just uh, really enjoyed that experience doing inbound marketing, among other things. I left in 2017, it was just basically time for me to go, I think, and let the company go off on its own. So they're still doing very well, and uh, I've been consulting since then, And most recently this year, I decided to really focus on the customer journey, in particular customer journey mapping, because that's, we'll we'll discuss this, I'm sure, but that's really kind of the foundation, I think, of a lot of problems that people have with with their sales and marketing.
0: On your website, there's a great quote, building a good customer experience does not happen by accident. It happens by design. So how do companies design a great customer experience?
1: Well, you have to know your customers first. You know, you have to understand how they behave, not only that, but what they're looking for, what their motivations are, what, you know, how they, how they engage with each other and with potential prospects for their businesses, as well as uh, buying software or whatever it is to help their businesses. So, that's really the, the, the art of this whole thing is getting to know your customers. And there's lots of different ways to do it, including talking to them. That's probably number one, but also studying their behavior. So how do they engage with your team, with your website, you know, those sorts of things. And then nowadays there's intent data, which is sort of outside of your properties. What, what are they doing? What are they looking for? What are they interested in? Yeah. So there's a variety of ways that really ought to be used together to sort of understand who your customers are. From there, we get to mapping and we get to the customer experience. So the, the whole idea is to map your strategy and your responses and your whole process to their journey, you know, not not build a journey and force them to fit in. So that that's kind of the, the gist of it.
0: You have been in sales and marketing for many, many years and you're very experienced and you've probably seen all the different models and strategies and tactics come and go. Could you walk us through some of the different approaches to sales and marketing that has been working and why they might not be as effective today?
1: Well, before inbound marketing, we were doing things basically the same way since the 1950s, which was talking to people that you knew you know you everyone had a rolodex of of contacts in the industry and they would call them and they would try to forge relationships and uh, they would send them things by mail so you know there was kind of a slow process of building relationships in b2b at least over time and trying to turn them into customers Inbound turned that around because we now are saying, or now we were saying, and this is kind of mid-2000s, let's just attract them with uh, great content. You know, let's blog and do social media. Nowadays, it's evolved into podcasting and webinars and things like that. But let's bring them to our properties, our social media profiles and our websites and so on because they're interested. They like what we're saying, you know? And that's that's kind of still the way we do a lot of what we're doing. The problem with inbound is that there is so much competition. Everybody does this stuff now. You know, in the beginning, you know, it was kind of a revolution, so to speak. And the ones who were early to the game were successful and can grow leads and revenues and so on pretty dramatically. But now you're competing with every company in the world that's doing this so inbound has become less successful and we've augmented it with other things so now it's really kind of a hybrid of inbound and outbound we're sort of merging sales and marketing so that all of the different approaches to reaching people are are taken and uh you measure which ones work the best and and sort of focus on those the term, the buzzword omnichannel, was born of this whole idea of, of yeah. really trying everything and seeing what sticks. And now even more, I guess, more focused than that is ABM, which is, you know, let's figure out who we want our customers to be first, exactly, and go put together a so- relatively sophisticated blend of outbound and inbound to try to reach them. And just focus on them instead of this big funnel with anyone who's out there coming in and trying to find out which ones are good.
0: And uh, the new thing now is uh, the flywheel.
1: Yeah, right. Everyone's yeah on that bandwagon now. The, the funnel was a one-way ticket to being your customer. And then, you know, who knows what happens after that. The flywheel, yeah. the idea is that Sales, marketing, and customer success are all working together to make the experience as good as it can be throughout the customer journey. So that goes beyond sales and uh, hopefully keeps the account live and, and growing forever.
0: I think the different models can be helpful to illustrate a point, but both you and me know that the sales journey or the buyer's journey is not as linear as awareness, consideration, decision. So How do you, as a company, map out all different stages and touch points when the customer journey is uh, not as linear as it used to be?
1: Well, it is very difficult to do for a complex sales where you have, let's say, you have five, six, maybe 10 people touching the account on your end and maybe the buying team and the support team and so on. That's another 10, maybe 20 people on the other end. Yeah. And then, if you put together the engagement between all of those parties, you can see that it's it's a matrix. It's it's very very it can be very very complicated.
0: Yeah, I recently read uh, some numbers from uh, Gartner that uh, typical B two B buying process a few years ago there were about five or six people involved. And Now, on average, there's eleven people involved in the B two B buying process.
1: And if you think about it, it makes sense. It depends on the the type of business you're in. But if you're a relatively large company in manufacturing, for example, you know, you've got sales, marketing, customer service, you've got product development, you've got safety, you've got shipping, you've got legal, you've got finance. I mean, you know, you can you can rattle them off on your fingers. And then really, if you think about it, you have to consider their customers, so yeah. that's a whole other d- dimension of, of complexity.
0: But even if the customer journey is less linear, it's more complex, there's more people involved. You are saying that we should still map out the different touch points and kind of send prospects, buyers on a journey uh, with your company. And I think you have a very useful framework for planning that journey out. So could you walk me through the different stages i know it begins with uh, a discovery or more of an awareness stage
1: well the discovery part is discovering that they need something there's a problem typically something that's missing they may not be aware of that at all at the beginning and usually they're not Um, and and it comes to them in a variety of different ways it could be that the problem surfaces itself and shows up in a report for example or it could be that they just read about it somewhere or they talk to peers or friends or coworkers. Something seems a little off or maybe they're planning for the future and they they realize that there's a gap in what they're trying to do. There's a variety of different ways that they can find out that they have a problem, but that's the first thing, is recognizing that there's a problem and then evaluating how significant the problem is. Is it worth doing something about it now, or can we wait? Then you go into uh, trying to understand more about the problem. That's where content gets consumed. You know, People do research on Google and elsewhere to find out, who yeah. else has this problem? You know, what, what's, how do they solve it? How much does it cost? You know, how long does it take to fix this problem? What do I need on my end? Who are the best vendors to try to help me with this? So yeah. that's kind of further along, but that's still in that same sort of discovery process.
0: After building awareness for your company and your product, you move into what you call an engagement stage. What happens at, the, at this stage?
1: Right. So the difference there is that they actually reach out to you. So now they're not just sort of passively consuming content. They're actually, they want to talk to somebody. They have questions typically. They may not be interested in the sale right away, but they, they want to know more. They want to you know, pin you down on specific applications for what they need, technical specs, you know, those sorts of questions. And also, typically, they have questions about how much it costs and how, how do I pay for this? And you know what are the options? What do I need on my end in terms of resources? How, how long will it take to get up and running and successful? So those are questions really only you can answer. Yeah. And so during that engagement phase, it's, it's critical to answer those questions honestly, quickly, you know, get the right people answering those questions you know, so you're not sort of putting them off and frustrating. That's, that's where friction comes in. You wanna remove as much friction in the process as possible. So to the extent that you can have things available on the website, that's great something they can find easily, chat features, so they can get answers instantly, things like that. Things that don't require a demonstration necessarily or a waiting period, so.
0: Gartner has a term for this called the buyer enablement where instead of having to ask sales for pricing, you have something like a pricing calculator or a product configuration tool on the website, so you have less friction in the sales process.
1: Yeah, right.
0: In your customer journey mapping framework, the next stage after engagement is uh, consideration or evaluation. What happens in uh, this uh, stage?
1: Now it goes back to them. So now they're talking to their internal team. They've gathered all this information and they are discussing the pros and cons for each stakeholder in in the process, in the team. So that could be, of course, the Leadership team is going to have different questions, but the users are going to have questions, the supporters, you know, the safety people, the IT people, everyone's going to have a hand in this process and they're going to need some sort of approval. It's a bit of a negotiation. There's presentations that typically go on. It depends on how big the sale is, but um, there's a lot that goes into evaluating, do we even need this right now? That's part of it. And then how much are we willing to spend and who's the best, you know, who are yep. we going to select in this process Is That's exactly. what you care about the most, but all the other things are important too. You need to be helping the buyer, enabling the buyer across this whole process to get it in your favor.
0: And the next stage in your framework is the purchasing stage. And many companies, they say that uh, if they only have enough opportunities, they are really good at closing the sale. But I think many companies fail at this stage uh, too.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, they think it's, it's a done deal. Once somebody says, hey, yeah, we're ready to go. And it's not. I mean, there's still contracts that need to go back and forth and there's still support that needs to be scheduled and there's a lot of different things that people can come in at the last minute on their end without your knowledge and try to sabotage this whole thing. So There's a lot of ways it can go south on you without you even realizing it before closed day.
0: What are some typical mistakes you see B2B companies do right before closing the sale?
1: Just not having a really nice... Well thought out playbook so that everybody gets the pieces together when they need to be together. So, making sure that the proposal is airtight and it fits exactly what they want and it's delivered on time and it's discussed. And uh, so, there's all these steps that need to go through. You know, meetings are scheduled to answer questions because no one's just going to sign on the dotted line the first time they receive a proposal in fact they're usually compared with other proposals so you have to be prepared at every step of that and it can be a long period i've seen this stage go on for years you know depending on how big the contract is
0: if you manage to close a sale you go into our uh, account growth advocacy onboarding stage what happens in uh, this stage well
1: first impressions you know so your sales team and and your you know, the other people on the, on the sales, you know, effort on your end have been interacting with their buying team, but not with the end users, you know, and typically not with their support teams and their, their IT people. And so there's a whole new process in place or needs to be to familiarize everybody, to onboard, to do the training, and everything needs to be choreographed just as well as that purchasing you know, it needs to be just airtight. It ne- there needs to be a playbook that everybody's following that's as helpful to them as possible and, and doesn't have delays in it. I mean, one of the most common things is is now that we got the deal done, let's schedule our onboarding meeting for a couple weeks out, you know, yeah. and so that leaves a bad taste in their mouth. It's You don't have the resources available to get to it faster than that.
0: Yeah, I recently signed up for our software and uh, the customer success uh, person did not show up for one of our scheduled calls. And I got no communication from that person after either. Um, So I think that leaves a really, really bad impression. And uh, now I'm considering cancelling just because of a bad onboarding experience and
1: again, as and little as little friction as possible. So the resources on the website and you know communities and all that needs to be ready to go. So they can just jump in. They can self serve if they want to. They can find out what they need quickly. And if they don't have the answers, you have chat set up and customer success set up so that you know things get answered right away.
0: So there's a lot of talk about inbound or account-based marketing and other trends, but there's not that many people, I think, that talk about uh, customer experience and customer journey mapping. Why why do you think that is?
1: No, I totally agree. I mean, especially nowadays with the pandemic, if if, if it's showed us anything, it's that you have to hang on to the customers you have. The other ones are going to make decisions, you know, to survive, and they may not buy from you for a while at least, so... That's really brought this to the forefront, I think, although it should have been a long time ago. It's a big trend. I think you're going to see a lot more people focusing on customer experience. A lot of companies don't know where to start with that, though. You really have to go back to first principles. You got to go back to what do your customers want? So it's fundamental issues, not just throwing software at a a problem. You know, you can buy customer support, software, and so on. But that doesn't fix the problem. It's the process. It's the attitude. You know, there's a lot of other things that need to go into it.
0: When it comes to customer journey mapping, what are the big benefits uh, companies will see by mapping out all the different touch points across their whole customer journey?
1: Well, I look at it from a, a CEO's point of view. So the CEO probably wants impact soon, not... You know, a long, drawn-out, strategic overhaul process. Nobody wants that. The CEO wants something quick. So you do a customer map, customer journey map. You identify some areas that are just missing, some gaps. You know, there's some experience problems where the customers aren't getting what they want, or we're not meeting them where they are. We're missing opportunities you know, you sit down in a room with uh, sales, marketing, customer success, maybe product, anyone else that has a stake in this, in this game, and you map this process out, you're going you're gonna to see some obvious things that need to get fixed. Mm. So those are quick wins. Those are things you could just get on right away and fix
0: mm. and
1: maybe instantly improve your pipeline, you know, 10, 20%, maybe more than that. And then longer term, you're going to overall improve your win rates, your close rates, because the pipeline is just, you know, the whole experience, the flywheel is, is actually working the way it's supposed to. You're getting better experience across the board. So you're going to win more accounts that way. So you're going to increase sales. You're going to improve overall retention and reduce churn. So the, the long, you know, lifetime value is, is, is going to increase as well. So it has long-term impacts. I think it's really actually pretty difficult to do any of this if you just take that sort of surgical approach, you know, where you just throw software at a problem or you hire somebody to fill that gap. It's still a matter of how these processes all work together to solve for the customer. And if you don't have that conversation and that exercise... It's hard to do, you know, you're still gonna have gaps. You're still gonna have roadblocks.
0: So let's pretend you're sitting down with a CEO of an industrial manufacturing company, technology company. They have a complex B2B product where the sales cycle is long. The product is quite expensive. You have multiple decision makers involved in the sales process. How do you start mapping out the customer journey with a company like this?
1: I would start with the champion. So who's the person that you go to when you're selling into accounts? Who's that person that's gonna carry you across the goal line? Who's the person that understands the problem and has the most obvious need and is willing to go to bat to get it? So that's, that's the persona that you're looking for. And they might have a lot of things in common, So you can build a process around or a map around those people that, depending on the industry and the product to some extent, is fairly consistent across the board. And so that's what I would start with. You know, that person is the key person. You can get that person happy. The rest is, you know, you can can figure it out. But uh, that persona in the industry that you're really targeting is a good place to start. And then I would move on to the next two or three most important personas. You know, number one would be the financial decision maker. Uh, Number two might be the person who's most likely to uh, object. Like, you know, in software, it's probably IT because they just, they don't want to have any more stuff to take care of, right? So those three people would be a good place to start. And then the next level would be, let's not just map out engagement, who's doing what to communicate. Let's also map out content. How are we deploying content at each of these stages of the customer journey to to enable this buyer? So you can make a content map that's completely consistent with the journey map. And then maybe the next one is data. What data do we collect at each of those stages? What do we do with it? Where do we store it? How does it talk to, or how do these channels talk to each other? How do you collect, for example, advertising data and communicate that into the CRM so that salespeople can do something with it? So that's another map. And then another one would be metrics. What are you measuring? What's important at each stage of the journey? And you, can, you should strive to simplify that as much as possible so that you can put it on a dashboard and the leadership team can understand what the hell's going on. You know, how well are we tracking this customer journey and doing something to make it as good as it can be? And then maybe last but not least, your tech stack. How it, How are you deploying your tech stack across the customer journey? And where are the holes, if any? You know, what, what's the next thing we need to probably invest in? That's where I would take it into other dimensions. And then, of course, as we talked about at the beginning, things are mo- always more complicated. So then you start drilling down on individual processes like the sales process you know, individual marketing campaigns, um, how do you respond to customer success, queries, and you know, things like that.
0: Yeah, so this is where you focus on creating content, having a content calendar, social, advertising, and so on.
1: And you're going to have playbooks and you're going to have editorial calendars and all these other supporting things, but let's not start with those. Let's build the, the overall view of the customer journey first and then drill down.
0: Do you think a lot of the time companies spend on personas is uh, wasted or not useful?
1: Well, I think they start with that, which is, you know, it could be successful, but it usually isn't because the, you know, you start focusing on a persona just for content marketing or just for, you know, sending out content, you're going to start really kind of oversimplifying things like You're going to send marketing stuff out to people who might be in this discovery awareness phase. But are they really? I mean, maybe they're former customers. Maybe they've already examined all this stuff. Maybe they're competitors. I mean, you don't really know who these people are. You haven't really looked at their journey. So you're not exactly deploying the right content to the right people, are you? You're kind of just blasting it out there into different silos now, not really paying attention to what their interests are.
0: Yeah, it's surprisingly uh, typical to see if you audit a bigger technology company, industrial client, Maybe they have invested in HubSpot and they've been doing a lot of gated offers and they have been getting a lot of marketing qualified leads. So first off, a lot of their leads are of poor quality, but then they also have a very poor process when it comes to following up with those leads. And these products and services that they offer are worth, in many cases, hundreds of thousands or maybe millions. And it's just sad to see and think about how much revenue is lost in that process
1: absolutely that that yeah. whole engagement leading into you know the the evaluation part is is so commonly messed up that uh it's hard to say how many opportunities are lost or how much money is lost, but it's a phenomenal amount i mean yeah. it's astronomical
0: so this has been a, a really great conversation. if people want to go and learn more about uh, you and what you do at the customer journey mapping, where can they go?
1: Well, I would start with the website. It's just www.customerjourneymaestro.com. Other than that, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you can just look me up. I'm just linkedin.com slash in slash J M C T I G U E J McTighe. And just, you know, hook me up if you want to you know make a connection i'm i'm happy to do it we can have a conversation or just follow my content and i'll follow yours back whatever it takes
0: great thanks for joining me john
1: thank you thorsten